Galatians chapter 4. All righty. So AJ and Katrina, who do y'all have? Sprouts, and you will be teaching? God made everything. God made everything. All right. Daniel? The exiles return. Awesome. Well, listen, we're going to be, and they're still coming. We're going to be praying for you guys, so I hope you have fun and learn lots back there, okay? Let's pray for them. Father, thank you so much for the children. We so very much thank you for blessing these families with these children. And I pray, Father, that um, as they're back there and looking at stories about your faithfulness and and just who you are, Father, I pray they would understand and learn and embrace the love that you have for them. Father, we pray for those who are leading, that they would clearly communicate your truth in a way that they, children can understand. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, so Galatians chapter 4 we're going to start in verse 21 but uh, I was reading something a couple of weeks ago and it kind of in a way ties into this but the um, Abraham Lincoln back in the day he you know he he made the uh, emancipation proclamation where he basically freed the slaves uh, back in 1862 I believe it is but it didn't really take effect until January 1st 1863 I think it was around then. Uh, but in Texas, it's a unique thing that uh, they have this celebration that they it started there. And I'm not sure if you're familiar with it. Anyone here heard of Juneteenth? Okay, a few of you have. Juneteenth is a, basically it is a time like two and a half years later, after the Emancipation Proclamation was uh, put into effect, two and a half years later, a general shows up in Galveston and he basically, the Union Army just says, okay, that's it, enough. Uh, that's on June 18th and on June 19th, this general stands up on the balcony of this building and he proclaims out there the, the slaves are free. And so they call this Juneteenth, meshing in June and 19th, Juneteenth. And it's a celebration that they, that, that actually, in four, I think it's like over 40 states of the 50 states, it's not like an official holiday, but it is a recognized holiday. Um, or a day to uh, a recognized day. However, I don't know how they say these things. But anyway, um, Paul here is trying to do something similar. I mean, Abraham Lincoln, he basically declared it, and the Union Army came in and kind of made it happen, provided a way for it, and the general stood up there and proclaimed it. And Paul, in a way, he's doing the same thing. God has declared from back in the early days that there is salvation. There is a way to have a relationship with me. He's declared this. Jesus on the cross made it happen. And Paul is there proclaiming. And he's using these analogies of slavery and bondage and freedom and promise and all of these things. He's using this. So I want you to kind of get your head around this. This is what Paul's trying to do to a people who is locked into either their pagan worships of what they were in in the Greco-Roman time frame or even the Jewish people who are locked into the Mosaic laws and all those things that Paul is trying to say, in Christ we are free. 
In the first two chapters of Galatians, Paul is basically laying out his case. He's saying this is what's happening and this is how we should respond. But in chapters 3 and 4, he's given evidence. Uh, If you remember in chapter 3, he talked about personally for them. He asked them the question, when did the Spirit of God come on you? Was it after you were doing works according to the Judaizers or was it after you heard by faith the Word of God? And of course they know, we, we know that if we look back in Acts and we see that the Spirit of God was moving, that as Paul and Barnabas was going through that Galatian region preaching the gospel, that people were responding because of the words, not because of anything under the Mosaic law. And then he actually takes a step back and shows historically Abraham in that time that in Genesis chapter 12, Abraham was given a promise in chapter 15, uh, he, was t- he was reiterated the promise, and it says there that because Abraham believed it was rendered unto him or reckoned to him as righteousness, God declared him righteous because of his belief, not because of anything he did, because it was what he believed. And then it was several years later that the covenant came that added things like circumcision and other things like that into it, that the Judaizers are saying, you have to do it this way in order to be right with God. And Paul was saying, no, that didn't even happen back in Abraham's day. And so here, Paul, in this, you know, and and we've seen other examples here, but in this text, he starts off in chapter 21, and we're going to read from chapter 21 through the first verse of chapter 5. I want you to read with me in Galatians chapter 4, starting in verse 21. Tell me, you who want to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the bondswoman, one by the free woman. But the son of the bondswoman was born according to the flesh, and the son of the free woman through the promise. This is allegorically speaking, for those women are two covenants, one proceeding from Mount Sinai, bearing children who are to be slaves. She is Hagar. Now, this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But Jerusalem above is free. She is our mother, for it is written, Rejoice, barren woman who does not bear. Break forth and shout, you who are not in labor. For more numerous are the children of the desolate than the one who has a husband. And your brethren, and you brethren, like Isaac, are children of promise. But as at that time, he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, and so it is now also. But what does the Scripture say? Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be an heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, we are not children of a bondwoman, but of a free woman. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to the yoke of slavery. Father, as we look into your word and break it down, I pray, Father, you would speak through me clearly and that I would be able to, in this passage, not chase every little thing that we could chase to determine the exact meaning of every phrase and word and everything, but, Father, that we would get the gist of what Paul was trying to tell the people there and how that might communicate to us in our day-to-day lives here. So, Father, help me 
speak clearly in, in a way that is understandable and help us all to hear, not from me, but from you, Father. We pray your spirit would move and reveal your truth in our mind and in our hearts. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Paul starts off this little section here. He says, tell me, you who want to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? Now remember, this is what's happening. The Judaizers are coming in, those who believe that in order to be a right relationship with God, you've got to keep doing the things that the Mosaic law proclaims. And so he's saying, those of you who want to be under that law, do you even listen to this? And, and, and it's not just are you hearing it. This word that he uses for listen is, do you understand what you're hearing? It's, it's, it's more than just me standing up here and giving you a talk here or a recipe on something or anything like that. And you hear what I have to say and walk away and go, I have no idea what he was talking about. He's asking, do you understand what you hear? You who want to be under the law, do you even know what the law is saying? Do you understand everything about it and what that means to you? And, 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 and in the next chapter, he's going to break it down. But here, he's just trying to get them to see that in the law, for, for it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the bondwoman, one by the free woman. But the son of the bondwoman was born according to the flesh, and the son of the free woman through the promise. Now, we have to go back in Genesis and just make sure we got this timeline Right. Remember in Genesis 12, God approaches Abraham, gives him a promise. There's going to be a great nation. Genesis 12. That's when he's like 75 years old. Genesis 15, that's when God shows up again. And, and Abraham's having a conversation with him. He reveals him. There's a, the promise is still there. And, and Abraham says, wait a minute. You keep talking about this great nation, but the, I don't have any heirs. I don't have any. The, the heir of all of this is going to be this guy, Eleazar. He's, going to, he's from Damascus. He's going to be the heir of all this stuff. And God says, no, he's not going to be the heir. You're going to have an heir. You're going to have a son. Genesis 16, Sarah and Abraham having a conversation, realizing, you know, hey, we're old. We're, you know, barren. We don't have any children. Why don't you take my slave and have a child with her? Maybe that's the way God's going to do this. You take Hagar, you go have a child, and maybe that will be what God will work through. Genesis, there in Genesis 16, or I mean in Genesis, yeah, Genesis 16, he does that. Ishmael is born around this time. He is 86 years old, Abraham is. Genesis 17, that's when God shows up and tells Abraham about the covenant, including the circumcision and all that kind of, all those other things that he's, Judaizers are using. He's talking about the covenant that he still has with him. Uh, as a matter of fact, in earlier verses, uh, he, he talked about how great, not just how, what a great nation he is, but from this descendant that you're going to have, from this heir that you're going to, they're going to be as great as the stars in the sky. They're going to number like the stars in the sky. And so Paul, is, I mean Paul, Abraham is like going, how is this going to happen? I don't have a child. Let's have one with Hagar. Here's Ishmael, and God shows up and says, no, this is not the way it's going to work out. I told you, I made a promise to you, I told you that you're going to have a child, and it's going to be through Sarah. And in Genesis 18, when, he, when, when, when God says this, Sarah laughs. She overhears, Sarah's laughing. And it's not like, oh, crap. It's not like laughing for joy or anything. It's like a divisive kind of, uh, a, a mocking kind of laugh. We know that because right at the next verse, God says, why is she, in her, why is she laughing? 
Why is she acting like this? You're go- when I show up next year, you're going to have another boy. And sure enough, in Genesis 21, when Abraham is 100 years old, Isaac is born. And it is through Isaac. And so here when we see these passages, you have to know this story, this, just this, this overview, not the details, but the overview from Genesis 12 to Genesis 21. That's what Paul here, when he's talking to the Galatians, when he says, Abraham had two sons, one from a bondswoman, one from a free woman. The son of the bondswoman was born according to the flesh. The son of the free woman through the promise. What does he mean by according to the flesh? That was Sarah and Abraham's idea. That was not God's idea. Sarah and Abraham came up with the idea thinking, I imagine they were thinking, hey, we're old, we're barren, we're not having children. We need to kind of maybe help God out with this one. They didn't say that. I'm just, how many times do we feel like when God wants us to do something, we, you know, instead of waiting on God or doing it the way God wants it, we feel like we got to help God out doing it a way that we can better understand it instead of on a promise that he has made to us. Whatever circumstances we find ourselves, wherever we, whatever situation we might be in, God has made promises to his children and we have a hard time wrapping our heads around it and we feel like we have to help God out. But they do it according to the flesh. They are not doing it according to faith. They are not doing it according to their belief that God is going to do it this, this other way. They don't understand how that's going to happen, and so they do it this way. That's what he means by bondswoman, having a child through the bondswoman, that is of the flesh. But of the promise, that is where God fulfills his promise that Abraham and Sarah, even in their old age, were going to have a son, and it's through that son the promise was going to be fulfilled where the descendants were going to be as numerous as the stars in the sky. Verse 24, this is allegorically speaking, for these women are two covenants, one proceeding from Mount Sinai, bearing children who are to be slaves. She is Hagar. Now this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. This is, when he, when he points back to Hagar and, 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 and being a bondswoman and, 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 and under slavery and her children are under slavery, he, 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 let me just say this. In today's society, we, there are pastors who get up here and preach using this text to say this is pointing to Islam or Muslims or things like that. And, and, and they use this whole passage to kind of point to an idea that, you know, that they, are the, that they are slaves to Islam, they are slaves to, to, to Muhammad, they are slaves to their beliefs or their culture or whatever. They, they won't understand there is going to be, even when you look at a, a later verse where it talks about when, when the one that was a slave was kind of persecuting the one that was free. And they use that as an example of, well, that means that Muslims don't have a chance. They are they, they have no chance. And it is true. Without Christ, they don't have a chance. Okay, let me just be clear with that. But this text is not talking about Muslims in that day. They weren't even around in that day. When he, when he talks about Hagar and, 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 and being a, bond, a, a bondwoman and, and in those areas, he uses things like Mount Sinai in Arabia. Those two areas are not Islamic because if you think about it, Mount Sinai later on, that's where 
they got the Ten Commandments. In Arabia, when they were wandering through, that's where they received the Mosaic laws. That's where God was with them when he brought them out of Egypt. And, and all through the wilderness there, God gave them the Mosaic law. And so Paul is drawing their attention to the Galatians, to the attention to the fact that Hagar being a slave woman is in correlation with the Ten Commandments, is in correlation with the Mosaic law. And that you cannot have that being added to faith in Jesus Christ, justified by faith alone. You can't do that. We've, we've seen that before where he's taken, he said circumcision should not be, it's nothing wrong with being circumcised. But you can't say you can't be a Christian until you are circumcised. It's just like we've said when we've talked about you, you, can, you, you can be a Christian and then take baptism. But you can't wait until you take baptism to be a Christian. It's not mandatory. It's not necessary in order to be a Christian. It is necessary to be obedient after the fact. And so Paul is really trying to lay out historically that the, 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 this, this Hagar and Ishmael is connected more to, because remember, they're, they're under Abraham there. They're under the covenant. Abraham is the one who, when he received the covenant in Genesis 17, he was the one who took Ishmael out and circumcised him himself. He brought him into his family and into the covenant. He was his flesh and blood. And so this is not about another religion out there somewhere. This is about connecting Hagar and the slavery and bondswoman and law and everything like that to the Judaizers of present day. Because look at what he says in verse 25. This Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds with present Jerusalem. The present day Jerusalem. Remember, Paul had to go into Jerusalem to have a conversation with the apostles. You remember that was an earlier, earlier chapter in Galatians here when he had to go have a conversation and say, hey guys, this justification by faith alone, we got to sit down and make sure we're all on the same page because Peter over here is acting like it ain't true. Remember, he called Peter out on that. And so they, they got together and came up with a statement that they all could agree on that went out to the churches that made that statement. We are justified by our faith in Christ alone. And so Paul here, when he's using Hagar in this imagery, he's talking about present-day Jerusalem, what's going on there, and that is their connection to the Mosaic laws, to the time in the desert, to the Ten Commandments, and all of those things. And no way is Paul saying those things are evil and bad, and they shouldn't even be. He's not, in the, he's, he's, he's not invalidating any of that. He's just saying it has no place in someone coming to faith in Christ. There is no room for that and justification by faith alone. There is no room for that. They, they don't come together. And so he's, he, he, he's, he's sharing this as he's... And, and, and let me just say this, as we talked about the Emancipation Proclamation earlier. There are many churches around the world, or especially in America back when the Emancipation Proclamation came out, used this very same passage to keep slaves where they are. Trying to keep slaves in a place, either by saying, because you are slaves or come out of a background of slaves, you can't inherit anything that is of God. You can't be free. There were churches that were doing that, and it was wrong. And there were churches that were making them second-class citizens. 
using this passage by proclaiming that it was wrong. What Paul is saying to the church of Galatians, churches of Galatia in this passage has nothing to do with our, the slaves' issues today or the Muslim issues today. It has everything to do with what Paul is addressing the Galatians on, and that is, are we justified by faith alone or do we need to follow the, these Mosaic laws in order to be right with God? Do we have to do that? And Paul is saying no. He goes on, but the Jerusalem above is free. And she is our mother, or which is our mother. Some different translations might say she. Some translations might say which is. The, the, the Jerusalem there is above. It is, talk, is making reference to heaven, the new Jerusalem. Not the present day Jerusalem, but the new Jerusalem that will come. He's talking, th th that is from heaven. That is from above. And he says, rejoice, barren woman who does not bear Break forth and shout, and you who are in labor. For more numerous are the children of the desolate than the one who has a husband. Now that passage is taken out of Isaiah 54. Isaiah 54 verse 1. And it was written by Isaiah to the people of Israel as they were coming back out of the Babylonian captivity, back to Jerusalem, back to that old Jerusalem. Around the time Zerubbabel was leading the people back. Remember we, when we were talking with, uh, we went through the book of Nehemiah this past year and we talked about how there were three waves of captives went back to Jerusalem. Zerubbabel was the first one. It took a bunch of people back. And this, is and, and this imagery here is talking about what they, when they go into Jerusalem and they see and, 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 and they're reconnecting with Jerusalem and all that. But the important thing is to look at that next verse, verse 28. And you, brethren, like Isaac, are children of the promise. Again, he is telling them, you are not anything of bondwoman, of the slave, of Mount Sinai, of Arabia, of the present-day Jerusalem. Those things have nothing to do with you. The Jerusalem above, that is who we connect to. That is, and you've heard me say this before. We might live in America, but our home is in heaven, right? We don't, we should be more, Amer we should be more ambassadors for Christ representing the kingdom of God than we do the best interest of what's going on in America or whatever country we say we're from. This is secondary and this is temporary. This is going to heaven, being with the Father in the kingdom of God. That is eternal. And the scriptures tell us that that is where we're going to go and that is who we're to represent and that is what we're to live our lives by. What comes from heaven. And so he is saying to the people in Galatians, out of this Jerusalem from above, which is our mother, it is through Isaac that we have the promise. And what is that promise? It is freedom in Christ. That in Christ, we are set free. In Christ, no matter what our situations, what our circumstances is, in Christ, we have the answers that we need. Now, we might not have the answers that we want. Some of us, we want answers that God is saying, you know, that's not important. We might think they're important, but God's saying that's not important. And no matter what our circumstances are here, all I know is this, is no matter how bad things get, no matter how bad things get, scriptures tell us that the suffering of this present age is not worthy to be compared to the glory that will be revealed to us. Now, most of us in this room, we're sitting pretty good. 
I don't know everybody's story. But around the world, there are believers, there are Christians who are going through incredibly difficult times. And when we lived in some of those places, we would see some of these people with nothing more joyful than we see in the churches in America, more engaged in ministry and evangelism and things like that than we see in churches in America. We've become comfortable. And we don't consider the fact that in Christ, we are a new creation. We are a part of the kingdom of God. We are ambassadors for Christ. We are to represent his kingdom, not our interests, his interests. And Paul here is saying, because of all of that, you are children, you are descendants of Isaac, you are part of the promise. We are not in bondage. We are not having to. And, and, and let, me just, let me just say, and what I mean by that today, you might ask, well, what do you mean by that? I've actually sat down and talked with people that, that think if they don't read their Bible enough, they're not a good Christian. If they don't spend just boatloads of time just on their knees praying, they're not a good Christian. They, they, they think if, if, if they don't do certain things, they're not a good Christian. Now, you know, there's obedience and disobedience. If you're totally neglecting your prayer life and totally neglecting the reading of the scriptures and all that, then, you know, that's one thing. But if in your time you're sitting down and you're spending 20 minutes in God's word and that's the time you've got that you can really invest in it, celebrate that. You're free. To do that. If you can add more, that's fine. But if you can't, don't let that be a burden, a bondage that handcuffs you to legalism in such a way that you cannot experience the joy that Christ has for us. Remember, in the early day, they didn't have a Bible in their hands. What did they do to spend time with God? They, they sat around, they listened to the, what the apostles had to say, and then they let it germinate. And they had their thoughts toward heavens and their thoughts toward the Father and their thoughts toward what is it that God wants me to do. They didn't have the scriptures laid out before them, the New Testament like we've got, where it says these are some things you need to be aware of and these are some things you probably want to be doing. They didn't have that. How did they walk in a way that was worthy of Father's love? Is they pursued Christ in everything, in their families, in their workplaces. They just pursued Christ in everything. And this is what we find and when we set aside these, these shackles that, that the enemy just wants us to feel terrible about, listen, he has lost us. Those of us who are saved, he has lost us. But what he can do with us is he can keep us from experiencing the fullness that God has for us on this planet. And he can keep us from representing the kingdom of God to others as well. That's all the enemy can do to me, and that's all the enemy can do to you who are in Christ. And the last thing we need to do is to let him tell us, man, unless I'm spending two hours in God's Word and journaling and talking to 15 people about on, on, you know, doing an online cohort and having all these things, uh, you know, if, if, if the enemy is in your head telling you, unless you do that, you're not worthy, then quit listening to the enemy. Experience the joy that Christ has for us by abiding in Christ. And, and, and in all honesty, the scriptures tell us that as we abide in Christ, we will abide in his commandments. We will abide in his love. We will abide in his word. As we abide in Christ first. But as at that time, verse 29, as at that time, 
He who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit. And so it is now also. This is the verse that I was telling you earlier about how some people will point to that and say the Ishmaelites, the the descendants of Ishmaelites or modern day Muslims persecuting God's people and and all that. And that's, that's not what that is saying. That's not what Paul is saying at that time. He's going back to a story in Genesis where after Isaac was born, Sarah sees Ishmael with Isaac. And, 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 the, and if you look in your Bibles, it says that Ishmael was laughing with Isaac or, you know, and you think, well, how's that persecution? Well, the word for laughing there is earlier in three verses in 20, chapter 21, verse 9 of Genesis or 21, verse 6 of Genesis. Earlier, Sarah was celebrating the fact that she had a child and how the people in her community can laugh with her now. And that was a good laugh. But three verses later, when she says she saw Ishmael laughing with Isaac, all of a sudden, she, the very next verse is, you got to get them out of here, Abraham. I want them out of here. So there must have been something different. So I started kind of digging a little bit. And what I found was that word for laughing can be used in a wide variety of ways. Remember I told you earlier about Sarah laughing? That wasn't like a laughing of having fun or agreement or joy or anything like that. That was a laughing of, I don't believe it. So when you look it up, there, there's, there, there's actually, could, it could even be the word mocking. And you really don't know unless you look at the context. And here in, 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 in Galatians chapter 4 verse 29, we have a context of what Paul is saying, what happened back then. But we also have a context of how immediately when she sees Ishmael laughing with why did she up and say, get him out of here. I don't want him near my child. I want them away from me. In the context, whatever was going on there was not a good thing, was not a positive thing. But here Paul provides for us the context of at that time that Ishmael somehow was mocking or ridiculing or whatever it was, he uses the word, persecuting him who was born according to the Spirit. And so it is now also. And what he's saying is these Judaizers who are coming into your churches after Barnabas and I have come through Galatia and we've shared the gospel and we planted churches and we came back through and we spent time with you training leaders and appointed elders. And then we hear these Judaizers are coming into the church and telling you that you've got to be doing other stuff in order to be right with God. He's saying no. It's just like back then when Ishmael was doing that to Isaac. Don't let them do that to you. And he says what to do with them. Cast them, out, cast them out. The son of the bottom woman shall not be an heir with the son of a free woman. And, 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 and in the New Testament, we kind of look at that to, to a certain degree. Is that if there are people in the body that are causing trouble and, 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 and creating div- division and things like that, what do we do? Well, we, 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 we begin confronting and, and, and dealing with it. According to Matthew 18, we sit down and have conversations. What are you doing? Why are you doing this? And ultimately, it might come to a place where we say, you are not a part of this body anymore. And in the same way, he's telling the church in Galatians, he said, those Judaizers, cast them out. Get them away. Protect your, you elders, protect your church. Get them out. So then, brethren, we are not children of a bondwoman, but of the free woman. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, 
Keep standing firm and do not be subject again to the yoke of slavery. So he's telling, he's just telling the church, using the story of Hagar and Sarah, Ishmael and Isaac, legalism and freedom, bondage and, or law and, and promise. He's using these, these, this, this way of directing their attention to the fact that we are in Christ, in Isaac, We are free. We are not in bondage. And he's telling them, stand firm and do not go back to the yoke of slavery. Do not go back to what they want you to do in present day Jerusalem. And friends, in whatever situation we find ourselves in, whatever circumstances we find ourselves in, I don't care what it is. No matter how difficult things are, in Christ we are free. We're we're free to accept Christ on his terms, not what man brings to the table. But we're also free to live a life in Christ that he has for us, whatever that might be. It's going to be a little different for everybody, but in all of us, we are to pursue Christ. We are to love Christ. We are to one another, each other, the scriptures tell us. We are to do these things not in order to be saved, but because we are saved. And that's what Paul's trying to do is just get them to see this. And he is presenting chapters 3 and 4. He's just lining up his evidence to support his case that he made in one, chapters 1 and 2. And he just keeps doing it. And it sounds like these sermons, as we've been going through them, there's, there's the same theme where there is. There is a similar theme through them all. He's using different stories. He's even coming at the Old Testament and through Abraham and righteousness or through Old Testament, Hagar and Sarah. He's using these stories that many of the Judaizers know, but the Galatians might not know because remember, they were Gentiles. They came out of a Greco-Roman kind of background. And, and so he's teaching them these stories that many might have heard, some might not have heard, but he's laying it out for them so that they can better understand, okay, now we have an idea. Now we don't have to know that we don't have to listen to what these guys have to say. Because remember, now what he said earlier is not only Paul is the one doing this, but all the apostles are in agreement that what he is saying is truth. And this letter is going out to the churches as Paul is writing this letter also. And so, what does that mean for us throughout, throughout our week, this coming week? I don't know what that means. I don't know what that means for you. But allow the Spirit of God to speak in your heart so that you can live without the burden of expectations, without the burden, the weight of Laws and legalism and things like that. I mean, I, I, I have been in churches and places where the way I am dressed right now, I am going to hell because I don't have a tie on. I don't have a jacket on. I don't, I don't have a fresh haircut. There, there are churches out there that are so hung up on these extra things. Let's not let any of those things burden us or weigh us down so that we can not experience, so that we can experience all that God has for us. Now, we're about to 
take the Lord's Supper here and what he said here in chapter 5, verse 1. He said it was for freedom that Christ set us free, that what, what Christ did on that cross, what Christ did, and what, what Paul has taught throughout the scriptures, he, he basically he says that all of mankind, all of mankind is destined for separation from God eternally. All of mankind, he says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of mankind. You, me, all of us. And he says the wages of that sin, the wages of that thing, the, the, that, that, that separation from God, the wages of sin in general is total separation from God. It is eternal. It is hell. But he said that God loved us so much that even while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He paid the debt for us. He was our sacrifice. He was our perfect sacrifice that paid the debt. And the scriptures tell us that all we have to do, Paul tells us, all we have to do is believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead and confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord. That's it. He says, he says if you do those things, you shall be saved. And so, friends, as we get ready to take the Lord's Supper, know that this freedom that we're talking about is not freedom just to go out and do whatever it is we want to do. The freedom that we're talking about here is Christ. God had declared from beginning his desire to be in relationship with mankind. Man turned their back on God. Jesus put in place, he, when he went, came and lived a perfect life on this earth and he died on the cross, he did everything necessary to make what God wanted to make it happen. Paul and others, the apostles and people like me and people like you are going around proclaiming to the world that what Christ did was what God wanted and all we have to do is believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead and confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord. Make him Lord of our life and then we shall be saved. That's what we're celebrating here when we come and take this Lord's Supper. It's not the freedom to do what we want. It's the freedom to respond to God in a way that God had ordained, not the way man had ordained. And so I want us to just bow our head and close our eyes for a moment. Father God, I thank you so much, Father, for your great love towards us. Lord, we know that we understand according to your word that we have done nothing to merit your attention towards us. But Father, you pursued us. You sent your son for us. Jesus willingly died on, in, in our place to pay off that debt of sin so that we might stand before you just as Abraham did because of his belief that it would be reckoned to us as righteousness, that we would be declared righteous because of Christ, not because of what we have done. And so, Father, thank you for that great love that you have loved us with. Help us, Father, to pursue you and your desires for our lives in our workplace, in our families, in our neighborhoods, wherever they might be, that we would pursue you and you alone in the days and weeks and months and years and decades that we might have on this planet. 
knowing that we will experience the fullness of what you have for us when we stand before you. Thank you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.